0: Take your Bibles and turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This has kind of been one of the go-to chapters that we've been looking at as we have been studying about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're doing a short series on the gospel, what the gospel is, what it isn't. And um, this is uh, an important chapter that kind of in a very... Kind of a nutshell gives us the essence of the gospel. And follow as I read, beginning at verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that that which i also received that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures and that he was seen by cephas then by the 12 after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then, last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles, who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Now, if Christ is preached, that he is not, he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If this, in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable, shall we pray. Father, today as we come to your word, we have been going through this series on the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have considered the word gospel, which means good news. And we only understand the good news when we understand the bad news. And we've talked about that, that we have all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. We, our sins have separated us from God. But the gospel is about good news of how Jesus Christ has come into this world to remedy that situation, to make salvation a reality for sinners and to reconcile them to God. So we've been talking about the person of Christ who this is, this one who has come into our world, the very son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, and he's come into the world for the purpose of saving sinners. So we've talked about the person of Christ, but we've also been talking about the work of Christ, the person and the work of Christ. And when we talk about the work of Christ, we've been talking about the fact that he is holy and innocent and undefiled, he is sinless. And he is the one who made an atoning sacrifice on the cross. As he died on the cross, it was of a substitutionary nature. He died the just for the unjust. He died for the guilty. He himself was guiltless, holy. But he himself offered up an offering of himself and bore the wrath of God in the place of guilty sinners. This is the message of the cross. It's a message that is by many despised and rejected. But to the believer, the cross of Christ has a wondrous attraction to them. And this by the grace of God, isn't it? How is it that we've come to believe and put our hope fully in one who's crucified on a Roman cross? Well, it is the grace of God. It is the wisdom of God. And we thank God if we're in Christ today, that he has opened our eyes to see the beauty and the wonder and the glory of this Christ who died for sinners. Last week, we talked about some important words, the word redemption, that he is redeemed. Redemption has the idea of the payment of a price for bringing about a release. And Jesus has redeemed us by his blood. We talked about that big word propitiation which has the idea of turning away the wrath of God and making satisfaction for the wrongs that we have done because Christ has absorbed in himself the wrath of God so that we could be forgiven, and God is pleased and has accepted his sacrifice. And then there is that word reconciliation. By his work, we are reconciled to God. We have been justified and we are reconciled to him. And we had, there was enmity, there was alienation, but he has brought about this reconciliation. And we are accepted before him, reconciled to him through his son, Jesus Christ. We are accepted in the beloved one. But another aspect that we want to consider of the work of Christ is the fact that he was raised again on the third day, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we need to see that Christ's death and resurrection are two aspects of the saving work of Jesus Christ. You can never separate the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. They go together and they are a part of this work that he has accomplished for us. And we see this here, Paul, as he's writing to the Corinthians in verse 3, he says that Christ has died for our sins, all right? He was crucified. He, was, he died for our sins, and that was according to the scriptures. They had foretold this. And then he was buried. This emphasizes the fact that he truly did die, and he was placed in a tomb. He did die. He was placed in a tomb, but we read in verse 4, and that he rose again, the third day according to the scriptures. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And so we see that these things go to t- together, his substitutionary death and his resurrection. And Paul says, this is what I have received as an apostle. This is what I received from Christ. This is what I preached to you. It is the death, the burial, and it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is vitally important for us as we would seek to understand the gospel and the work of Christ. Being raised from the dead is something that he says was according to the scriptures. And I think in Isaiah 53 and in Psalm 16, we find passages that remind us that this one who would die, that his days would be prolonged, that he would see the accomplishments of his work, and he would be satisfied. He would share, as it were, with his people the riches of his suffering and his his work upon the cross. And so he would uh, divide the spoils among the strong, Isaiah 53 tells us. But vitally connected to the gospel and to the cross of Christ is the resurrection. And I think Sometimes we think more about the cross of Christ and maybe not as much as we should about the, uh, the resurrection of Christ. And these things, again, go together. And we notice that Paul is emphasizing that here in 1 Corinthians 15 as he writes to the church of Corinth. He says that he was raised again on the third day and he was seen. Peter saw him. The disciples, all of the apostles, they they saw him. And over 500 people who he said many of them are still alive, they saw the risen Christ. And so you could go and talk to some of these people who had seen the one who was crucified upon the cross. But he's now alive, and they will bear testimony to that. And the scriptures give many uh, indications of this in, in, in the gospels of those who saw him as the resurrected Christ. And the reason Paul is emphasizing this is because there are those who have brought into the church of of Corinth this question, well, we don't really think that there is a resurrection of the dead. There's not going to be some kind of a future resurrection. And Paul says, no, this is not the case, and he's emphasizing this. If that were true, if there's no resurrection, then Christ hasn't been raised from the dead and those that have died in Christ, well, they're not, they've perished, and, and your faith is futile. So this is, this, is a, this is a heretical teaching, and Paul wants to underscore the importance of the resurrection. He died, he was buried, and on the third day, he was raised back to life, and there are many who bear witness of that. When I began this series, I mentioned the fact that as we talk about the gospel These are historic, redemptive events that happened in time and history. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. The Son of God came into our world, a historical event. He lived a sinless life. He is one who died on a Roman cross, a historical event, attested even outside of the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised again. And so this resurrection is vitally important for us to, to understand. It, it, his resurrection wasn't, as some people would say, well, it's just metaphorical. That it's just a, a lesson to us about new life. No, no, no. It, it was a literal resurrection. And Paul makes that very clear and wants to underscore that. And it is vitally important. I want you to turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 10. And and Paul underscores the importance of this. This is something that must be believed if you are to be saved. If you are to know the saving grace of God, to be reconciled to God, you must believe certain things about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so in Romans 10 and verse 9, I think these are familiar verses to us, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth, The Lord Jesus Christ, this historical person, he is Lord, he is Jesus of Nazareth, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or or Greek, For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so, in other words, to be saved, you must acknowledge who this Jesus is. You must know who he is and what he did as he died upon the cross. But you must also believe that God raised him up from the dead and that he lives, that he has conquered sin and the grave and death. So this, is, this resurrection is vital to the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's vital to faith that leads unto salvation. And so believing in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Secondly this morning, why Christ's resurrection is essential. Turn back to Romans 4, just back a few pages. Romans chapter 4, and why is the resurrection of Christ so essential to his work? Well, there are many places we could turn to, but here in Romans, we want to look at just uh, one verse here, verse 25, but we'll go back to verse 24. He has been talking in this chapter about justification, how a person is justified. It's a legal term, how he's made right in the eyes of a holy God how he is accepted, how he is declared to be righteous and accepted before the court of heaven. And he uses the illustration of of the man Abraham. Abraham was one who believed the promises of God of a descendant who would come through him who would bring blessing to all the world. And Abraham, by faith, had seen the day of Christ and he rejoiced to see that day. But he was a man that was justified not by his works. He was justified by faith and faith alone in the promises that God had given to him. And Paul makes the application, it's the same with us today. Jew or Gentile, how is one saved? How is one made right in the eyes of a holy God and justified so that there's no charges that can be brought about against him and they are accepted before the court justified, accepted, it's by faith in Christ alone. It's not by works of righteousness that we have have done because we have no works of righteousness, but it is by faith alone in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work. We are saved by works. They're just not our works. They're the works of Christ and what he has done. And so here in verse 25, he talks about the work of Christ. He was delivered up because of our offenses. All right? He was delivered up for our offenses. We've talked a lot about the substitutionary nature of the death of Christ. He was delivered up. This word delivered up is a a word that has the idea of being handed over and uh, often handed over unto judgment or something like that. This is a word that is used here of Jesus, that he was delivered up. Why? Because of our offenses, all right? It was for us. He was delivered up. Now, it's interesting, this word is used to be delivered up by several different people. Judas delivered Jesus up to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, for 30 pieces of silver. It was the religious leaders, the chief priests, that delivered him over to Pilate to be executed. It was Pilate who delivered him over to the Roman soldiers that he would be crucified. Those things are true. But more importantly, more significantly and primarily, is that it was God the Father who delivered him up. To the cross. Romans 8 tells us that truth that God spared not, He spared not His own Son, but He delivered Him up for us all. (laughs) It's an amazing thing that we learn about in the gospel that it was the Father who delivered up His Son for the express purpose of bearing in Himself our transgressions, the wrath of God to die in our place for our offenses. In Acts 2, when Peter is preaching on the day of Pentecost, he says it was you, you religious leaders, you, you handed Jesus over to be crucified, and they, they were accountable for that. But he also says that Jesus was delivered up by the predetermined purpose and the foreknowledge of God. And you have crucified him. So in a way that's hard for us to understand here is men doing wickedness against Christ. And he's crucified unjustly. But in those very events, God the Father is at work to bring about the salvation of his people as he dies in their place. And so God is at work in these events. It's kind of like Joseph. You remember Joseph, his brothers had sold him into slavery and many years later as they meet up with joseph that has been long gone and they realize who he is he's now the prime minister of egypt they're fearful joseph's going to take revenge on us and he says to his brothers don't be afraid what you have meant for evil god has meant for good in saving many people alive it's an amazing thing and here it is if you would ask Jesus he would say yeah wicked hands handed me over to be crucified they did that to me but God himself meant it for good to save many people alive this is what Christ has done this is a very essential again to the gospel but Paul goes on and he says, and he was raised because of our justification, or he was raised for our justification. These two things go together. Forgiveness of sin. The death and the resurrection of Christ brought about forgiveness of sin, and it is brought about justification. Again, that's a big word, justification but it means to be declared right in the sight of God, to be justified in the court of heaven, no charges to be brought against us. So Paul says in in the next chapter, verse 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. In chapter 8, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. This is the amazing truth of the gospel. But it's the death and it is the resurrection of Christ that has brought this about. And as we think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Geneva Bible in a footnote says this, he rose from the dead, his resurrection confirming that his death was a sufficient and effective offering for sin, pleasing the supreme Judge. What did the father think of the work of Christ as he is dying on the cross in the place of his people for the sins of his people? He was pleased with that. He accepted his atoning work. And the proof of that is that he was satisfied is that he raised his son again from the dead. He had brought about redemption. His blood made satisfaction for sin. And so this is the father's amen to the son's, it is finished. The son said, it is finished. And at the resurrection, Jesus said, amen. And I accept his work upon the cross for sinners. Paul puts it this way as he speaks about the, the work of Christ, that his death, his sacrifice, his offering is like a sweet smelling aroma that arises up to God and is pleasing to his father. And so his father accepted what his son did. The resurrection vindicates and substantiates who Jesus is, what he did upon the cross, and his words. Because he said himself, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to be raised again on the third day. And the resurrection substantiates all of the things concerning the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul wants us to see the importance of this, because if there is no resurrection, then Christ hasn't been raised. If Christ hasn't been raised, we're not going to be raised. And we're still in our sins, Paul says, because the cross of Christ did not accomplish redemption. If there is no resurrection, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we're still in our sins. And those who have died, they've perished. And there's no hope of resurrection for us either. And your faith, by the way, Paul says, it's futile. It's worthless. And so we see that the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ, there two parts two essential parts of this work of the Lord Jesus Christ Thirdly this morning and in closing I want to just talk about why Christ's resurrection is good news to all of those who have come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ why is it why is it part of this good news well, That's I think obvious but we want to mention just a few things First of all it produces a glorious sight for their eyes of faith. For the eyes of the believer, they're able to see through scripture these events that have transpired concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are are four essential elements, four important elements. He, He was crucified. He was raised again. But that's not the end. He ascended back to heaven. We read about this in Luke 24, verse 50. He led them out. Jesus led them out as far as bethany and he lifted up his hands and now it came to pass that while well, he blessed them beautiful sight isn't it jesus with his disciples raises his hands and is pronouncing a blessing upon them these who just earlier had been in despair and despondency they've seen the res- resurrected christ he's blessing them and he was part he was parted from them and he was carried up into heaven and the angel said to his disciples You know, this Jesus who's departed, he's going to come again and he's going to come back again. So he's departed. He's gone up into heaven. He has ascended. He is the victor. He is the captain of our salvation. He's been raised up. He's ascended back into heaven. But what is he doing now? What is Christ? Where is he and what is he doing now? Well, we see that As he's ascended back into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of the Father. There is what we might call his enthronement or his coronation. This is where Jesus is at this time. He has come into this world, but he's ascended back to heaven as our conquering, the captain of our salvation. And we read in Mark 16, verse 20. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven. And he sat down at the right hand of God. It's a place of authority, a place of power, of supreme ultimate authority and power. The one who bears our image and our likeness has ascended back to heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. We often think of the work of Christ and we need to be reminded that This Christ who is ascended above now is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Thomas Kelly wrote a hymn. We're going to sing it in a little bit. It's kind of an Easter hymn, but I love this hymn by Thomas Kelly. Look, ye saints, the sight is glorious. We see it by faith. The sight is glorious. See the son of sorrows now. From the fight, he's returned victorious. Every knee to him. Shall bow, crown him, crown him. Crowns become the victor's brow. Hark those bursts of acclamation. Hark those loud triumphant chords. Jesus takes the highest station. Oh, what joy that sight affords. Crown him, crown him, king of kings. And the Lord of lords. So by faith, the people of God see these wonderful things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, it produces confidence in their salvation. It produces confidence. This is the one to whom we belong if we're a Christian. We've committed our life to Christ. We put our trust in him. It reminds us that this salvation that we have is secure. We can have confidence in it because he has died. He has conquered sin. He's ascended back to the Father and he's at the right hand of the Father and it's there that he intercedes for us. Hebrews 1.3 says that when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sat down because his work was done. You remember in the Old Testament, the priests daily ministered in the temple offering again and again and again sacrifices that ultimately could not take away. They could only point to the one who could. And here we see this one. He has ascended above. He has sat down at the right hand of the Father. He has purged us of our sins. There were no chairs in the tabernacle or the temple. The priests did not sit down. Their work was never done. But this one, He has sat down at the right hand of the Father. And it is there that he represents his people. What great confidence that we have in this one, Jesus Christ. Paul in Romans 8, that's a a wonderful chapter, he says this. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Well, it's Jesus Christ who died. Who is the one that can condemn well, Paul says, it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even now at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Who can condemn them? We look to Christ. He is our hope. He's ascended above. He's at the right hand of the Father. We have confidence in his finished work and the position that he now holds. Thirdly, it produces confidence in their Savior, those who have put their trust in him. He's no insignificant person in history, in time. He is a VIP. He is the very most important person of all of history. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And if you're a Christian, that is the one to whom you belong. This is your Savior who is Lord and King. And it said of him, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus said, all authority and power has been given to me in all of heaven and in all of earth. Brothers and sisters, that's the one to whom we belong. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. No one can unseat him. This is our savior. And as we think of the resurrection, the ascension, ascension, and the enthronement of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have every reason to put all of our confidence and our hope in him, the one who is clothed with all power and all authority. There is no other higher person, no other higher position than the one who is our representative holds right hand of the father and so faith is able to dig its roots down deeply into this exalted position that our savior holds next it produces confidence for their todays for all those that have put their trust in him this is confidence for our everyday life this is the one to whom we belong This is the high priest who ever intercedes for us, the one who knows us, the one who said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. He is the friend of sinners. He's the one that knows his sheep, knows them intimately. intimately. We read in Hebrews these wonderful words, Hebrews 4, Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Look where he's at. Look at the position that he holds. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and that we might find grace to help us in our very time of need. Brothers and sisters, this is the one to whom we belong. No matter what you may be facing, whatever difficulties, this is your great high priest who sympathizes with you, who invites you to come. He will give you the grace and the help that you need in the very time that you need it. And we need that grace. We need that help that only He can give to us. I love Ephesians 1, where Paul's praying that the eyes of these believers could be opened to see the power of God that has worked mightily for them. This power by which Christ was crucified and raised from the dead, and He's now seated above, at the right hand of the Father, above all principalities and powers and authorities, and he has been put in that position for his church, for his people. That's why he is there. It is on our behalf. And so it gives us confidence for today, doesn't it? As we understand this resurrected Christ who's ascended above. But it also gives us confidence about tomorrow, about the future. First Peter 1 Peter 1.3, Peter writes and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's caused us to be born again unto a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's undefiled, will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you. This living hope that we have is a direct result of Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead. That is a beautiful word, the word hope. We don't find hope in this world. But here is a living hope that sustains the people of God living in a fallen, broken world There's a living hope, and we have the anticipation that Christ is going to either gather us to himself or he's going to come and receive us to himself. And we will enter into the joys of the salvation and the fullness of the salvation that he has promised to us. And so Paul is able to say in 1 Thessalonians 4 I want you to know, brethren, as you maybe have lost a Christian friend, a dear one, that even though we sorrow, We don't sorrow as the world that has no hope. For if we believe that Jesus Christ died and that he was raised again, even so, Jesus is going to bring us forth in that last great day. The dead are going to be raised up, and we will join together and meet the Lord in the air. But there is this hope even in the face of death. Death's a reality, isn't it? Really, all of us are terminal. We're all in the process of dying. Jesus Christ came into the world that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly. And he has secured this by his death, burial, and his resurrection. And so we have hope for tomorrow, a hope that sustains us in this fallen and this broken world. We are united to Christ. We are his And then lastly, it produces a selfless devotion, at least it should, to the lover of our souls. Paul, writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, says, It is the love of Christ that constrains us. For we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them who loved them and was raised again. When we become self-absorbed concerned about our little kingdom of one we get preoccupied with our own life. Paul says we need to look at Christ and the love of Christ ought to constrain us That I should no longer live for myself, but for this one who loved me, who was raised again for me, for my salvation, for my justification. It'll turn the whole perspective of our Christian life in a different direction. May God, by his grace, enable us that we might do that. May I say as we close, if you're here without Christ, there is only one name given under heaven whereby you can be saved, and it's a glorious name. It is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior and the friend of sinners. The call of the gospel is to come as you are in your sin and look to him, trust him, put all of your hope in this one. Call upon him to save you, and he will. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, For his person, who he is, and what he has accomplished on behalf of guilty, helpless sinners. Lord, as he is lifted up today, I pray that our hearts are drawn to him. If we're a believer, that we see the glory and the beauty of Christ. Keep our eyes fixed upon him. Help us to be reminded that our life is not our own. We belong to him. It's the best place that we could ever be. For any here that have never, they've never come to the end of themselves and seen their sin for what it is, who are estranged from God, they're a sheep going their own way, living in rebellion against the king of heaven. May this be a day of salvation for them. May they bow the knee to Christ. May they call upon he who is mighty and able to save. May they look to the lamb and may they live in him pray and ask this for the glory of Christ who loved us and gave himself for us amen well I invite you to take your insert and